Hello, I'm Chris Biddle and welcome to episode 22 of Inside AgriTurf. Now, recruiting new talent into our industry is and has been for many years a considerable challenge, particularly for independent family-owned dealerships. No longer can we rely on rural communities being the main source of new recruits and our industry does lack widespread public recognition. Let me take you back to the Royal Smithfield Show of 2004 held at London's Earl's Court, at the last to be held as it turned out. The BAGMA stand, the British Agricultural and Garden Machinery Association, had a royal visitor when Princess Anne was invited to formally launch an industry-led careers initiative called A World of Opportunity. Speaking to guests, she said, you have pulled together as an industry to great effect and are to be congratulated on taking such a positive and proactive approach. The cross-industry group had been formed two years earlier and raised almost £100,000 from manufacturers, dealers and suppliers to fund an ongoing initiative to promote careers opportunities within the industry. So has the momentum of that royal endorsement 16 years ago been maintained? And as the industry evolves, is it targeting the right people with the right approach and the right messages? Now to try and answer that and get a perspective on the current situation, I'm delighted to be joined by Richard Charles, the After Sales Customer Care and Training Manager, UK and Ireland, for the Agco Corporation. Richard is responsible for the training of some 800 service technicians, including apprentices, employed at around 140 sales and service depots representing Agco's four tractor brands, Massey Ferguson, Valtra, Fent and Challenger. He spent about 15 years in an agricultural machinery dealership before joining Agco in 2013. First, however, I wanted to know what impact the current COVID restrictions were having on Agco's apprenticeship programme and the delivery of the company's own ongoing training schedule. Well, the obvious, the obvious main um, issue we have, Chris, is that uh, we can't conduct face-to-face -face training. Uh, certainly from an Agco point of view, uh, in March, the, uh, the leadership team took the decision to shut our site down at Abbey Park. So the office pretty much closed and we all shifted to remote working from home very quickly. Uh, for most functions, that's fine. But from a, a, a training uh, school, that was obviously a challenge. We had to cancel all of our quarter two planned training uh, and very quickly switch to a virtual model, uh, which we did. Um, mm -hmm. the, the main challenge was that we were not ready uh, for a virtual model. There wasn't necessarily anything uh, there ready to use straight away uh, so we had to spend some time building a, a virtual model and then started to work out and go through the pain of piloting testing uh, running it with live live people but all in a very short space of time uh, because we couldn't really afford to lose the whole of the quarter uh, and certainly moving into the main season which is from sort of september onwards um, that's what we needed to do yeah. and the colleges did the same the colleges certainly, uh, quarter two was challenging for them. They struggled to get the apprentices through, uh, but they did manage to set up some sort of uh, bubbles within the learning environment. Uh, but it did depend on whether the dealers would release their apprentices uh, to attend training. 
Then, of course, we go into the holiday season. So the colleges uh, needed to get themselves a little bit better prepared. Um, and then as we entered into September, uh, they were certainly doing a mixture of face-to-face -face learning with uh, smaller learning groups uh, and then face -to virtual training, virtual classrooms uh, delivered by what, the solution that they'd chosen um, within that uh, campus. Exactly uh, the same across both the Morton Moral and Lisfassi campus. Uh, and what's the situation at the moment? Um, are the colleges open? No, they're completely locked down again. So everything that they're conducting currently is being done virtually uh, via a virtual classroom. But that said, uh, the, the, the issue, certainly from, I'm talking from an agricultural engineering point of view here, so our apprentices ultimately, I'm not sure what courses are actually going on in some of the other campuses and other sort of industries, but certainly from our point of view, it's closed. Um, and that mainly is, is down to two things. One, because they need to keep the safety of the instructors and, and conform with the government guidelines, but also or our apprentices are traveling from all different parts um, of the country. Uh, and that is actually a no, no within the government guidelines anyway. And, and how has all this impacted on your intake of apprentices in particular then, uh, Richard? Well, to be honest, Chris, I, the start of uh, the COVID situation, we, we were on a good drive of really trying to increase our apprentices up uh, to the sort of 40 year, 40 level um, for the, the, the year intake of 2020. Um, unfortunately, then the COVID hit and we had two challenges. The colleges needed to work out ultimately if they could accommodate 30 students in a year group, uh, then that was fine. And ultimately, we had that conversation with Morton Morrill and they were happy to accommodate 30, year, 30 students in any one given time. And then we're looking to see where they can actually increase their numbers in a normal year, because I was going to have a big push on increasing the apprentices numbers and ultimately I wanted more moral to get to a point where they could take 40 um, and then COVID hit and that all of a sudden needed to sort of not only could they physically take the 30 in a normal year all of a sudden we needed to maybe start socially distancing all the classrooms so that could have been in turn reduced the numbers uh, so we stopped on the push to be fair and just let the natural sort of um uh, people come into who had found the, uh, the apprenticeship scheme attractive and instead of trying to market it heavily like we were planning to do. Ultimately, we, we did have an intake of more than what I expected. I, I thought we would have had a dramatic reduction. We probably would have been looking at about 10 to 12 to 15 apprentices uh, for the year intake for this year. We've actually got to around about the 27 mark, not quite the 30 mark which in turn, we had a record year last year in 19, where we had 36, 37. Um, and that was the most that ADCO had ever had in one year group. Uh, so we weren't far away from that, even without actually trying to market the apprenticeship scheme. Uh, the challenge is still, uh, until we get out to the end of this, what can we really push the colleges to do? We've got some scope for the uh, North Wales College at Lisfassi, but more moral, uh, certainly we're having to look at... Um, having to look at where we could accommodate more apprentices at that campus because they were already struggling with the numbers of 30. Uh, granted, COVID's probably assisted it a little bit because it's reduced the numbers that we expected them to take. But, uh, but in the normal year after this situation, we will still be trying to push on with that. So that was the main sort of challenges, really. But we still had a good year group. 
yeah good uh, do, do you have any concern that uh, there might be uh, knock-on funding issues for the college and in uh, providing continuing training oh well i try to keep away from the funding of more moral if, and the, the different colleges if i can until i really need to be involved uh when we talk about uh, you know signage and stuff like that we just we just invest in the campus it's yeah. in our interest to do that when we talk about the funding, it's uh, yeah. I haven't I haven't broached that subject yet. No, okay. Um, as the Aggo Aggo Group Corporation, uh, you represent four major brands. Uh, what challenges does that give you in in providing training for for the four different tractor models? It's it's quite difficult because we are as a group, um, believe it or not, very branded very brand focused. So Massey Ferguson have, they are masters of their destiny, so offense of ultra. So they can actually be quite different uh, in the standards that they feel they, we should be training their technicians in. So the level of material can differ by brand. Uh, the level of standards can actually be different. And ultimately the factory home set the curriculums that we are supposed to deliver to our technicians as a marketplace. That for me is quite a challenge because ultimately uh, trying to get a training team to align and deliver a good standard to all technicians, and especially in the UK marketplace, which is unfortunately uh, the multi-branded dealer network is only really in the, in the UK marketplace. Um, because the brands are very much driven, driving themselves, uh, the likes of, say, for instance, a Chandler's technician could be working on a Valtteri, could be working on a Massey Ferguson. Ultimately, with the current branded curriculums, he potentially will need to attend a Valtteri engine course and then a, Valtteri, a Massey Ferguson engine course. That course will be the same material because they are both using the Adco Power um, engine. But the brands don't see it like that. They still think that a Valtra technician should attend a Valtra engine course and a Massey Ferguson technician should attend a Massey Ferguson engine course. But they could be one of the same technician. That is probably the main challenge that we have, certainly in the UK marketplace. Across other regions, it's not so bad because they are more branded focused dealerships. So you would have a only Massey Ferguson technician who would only need to attend Massey Ferguson training. Do, We're not like that in the UK, unfortunately. Uh, do you have to use training resources outside the UK at all? In not for the UK network. The... No, we have a full training uh, training complement within the UK. Uh, we have our training school based at Abbey Park. We have uh, uh, specific branded trainers, but the branded trainers would then go to the factory homes to receive their own training and guidance on any new products or products that that are in the, coming into the marketplace. We don't tend to send dealer staff. You Very rarely there would be an update course for master technicians on a specialist product like a, a Rogator sprayer potentially. Yeah. But the, the UK dealers do not like to travel outside the UK because it comes with an additional cost. Now, the challenges you're facing, of course, Richard, are faced by all other manufacturers. Do, do you have an opportunity to, to, to um, compare notes with people in other manufacturers, people in your position? Yes, certainly, yeah. So I'm part of the, uh, the AEA uh, Education and Development Committee, uh, Training and Education Committee, sorry. And, uh, and we do meet up from time to time. We, we've had various uh, virtual meetings this year. 
but um, but we we I've certainly attended some of those meetings, and that's where we we can talk across the table about various different things that we're all challenged with as training managers, um, and uh, all of the main manufacturers attend that meeting. So it's always an interesting uh, interesting meeting to attend, certainly. Uh, and there's enough sort of openness between manufacturers, probably more so um, in our industry, in the agri industry, than there is in the automotive trade, who seem to be at each other's throats and so on. But oh yeah, we're certainly not. We're certainly not. Uh, it's it's not like that. Definitely not. Um, not from a training point of view, anyway. I'm sure if you got into some sales meetings, there'd be some different conversations. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But, but I don't think even when you go to large shows, you know, the agricultural industry is a very small. Uh, close sort of, well, not very small, but a close community. You know, it's a, you don't get away with a lot in the agricultural industry without a lot of people knowing about it very quickly, if you know what I mean. Because <laughs> everyone still talks to each other, as you say. So we're not very guarded, really. We, we're, we're all quite open, I would I would think. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it certainly isn't the cutthroat. And Richard, if we look at the general situation, recruiting new talent into the industry, appears to be a real difficulty for dealers and of course for the wider industry and, and, and for you as a manufacturer and obviously for the colleges for 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 trainers and that's all interconnected um i presume you would mainly recruit uh for your training team from dealerships generally or try in, to in an ideal world that is definitely uh, the preferred route uh however um we can't uh, we can we certainly do not approach any staff within our dealer network uh, main reason because um, the dealer network are very short of people too uh, so if we keep poaching all of their best people it leaves the dealer uh, very short staffed and potentially leaves them with uh, with the problem that you know no one wants having to have to retrain someone having to get them back up to speed um, so and it, and it does tend to leave a bad taste in the dealer's mouths if, if someone has been poached by ADCO uh, from their from their organisation. Um, ultimately, this would definitely be the preferred way, uh, because if we could get candidates and, and uh, then progress candidates through a better career, through a career path, through the dealership and then into ADCO as a manufacturer, uh, with our, with product experience, that is definitely the way forward because we can get them up to speed and onboarded a lot quicker uh, than we can taking someone completely cold. But unfortunately, at the moment, with all of the the way that it uh, it pans out, how the industry is, is is if we have someone from a dealer network, uh, certainly if they are a dealer facing uh, personnel, it can cause relation issues between us, a manufacturer. UK support networker and the dealer, the dealer customer itself themselves. Yeah, but we yeah. don't go actively looking for candidates from our dealer network. No, no. Um, at the presentation you made to Lama uh, last year, I think you suggested that the industry itself could or should do more. Um, what's your initial thoughts on that? On what it what it could do or what it should be doing? Well, I. I do, you know, I've been in the industry a long time as well. I say a long time, you know, 20 plus years. Uh, I've, I've never done anything else really apart from men tractors. So I've, I've been about a little bit. And, and I've heard this conversation that we can never get good people time and time and time again. Uh, but I've never actually heard anyone say what we're going to do about it or what are we doing about it? We are perceived to be a closed shop. The industry is perceived to be a closed shop. Um, 
by, by who? Sorry. Um, by who, Richard? Anyone you speak to. Anyone really? who's not in agriculture that you speak to at any careers events or any schools, uh, well, how do I get into agriculture? That no one even approaches the subject because they believe that we are a closed shop. If you are not in the industry, you can't get in the industry. Yeah. If you are not already a, a farmer, you've struggled to become a farmer. Yeah, but sort of obviously building awareness um, of um, this industry and indeed knocking down that perception that it's a closed industry probably takes a bit of time and, and, and money. There was, as I said, right at the uh, introduction to our conversation, an initiative launched back in 2004, uh, which uh, generated a fund of nearly £100,000, which was actually um, generated from dealers and manufacturers for what was called then the Careers Project. But I'm not aware at the moment there is such a fund um, to run a continual awareness campaign. Um, do, do you think there is or, or, or should there be? Not that I've seen, Chris, to be fair, and certainly haven't heard of any fund. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not sure. And, and to be honest, we go to the, the AEA meetings, like I mentioned earlier, and if you ask any of the other manufacturers, where do you go? Where do you have career stands? Where do you, you know, it's either agricultural colleges or it's agricultural shows. Yes. People that are already at those colleges are already at those shows are already in the industry. Yes. We need to be looking further afield. Yes. I think the problem is, and I see it every day. I live next door to Land Rover. Um, there's a lot of people being recruited by Land Rover, and I'm sure there's a lot of people, certainly with the technology that we're using in our products these days, that we would benefit from having into our industry and certainly into our, our sort of uh, companies and co. Uh, even just at a Warwickshire level, to be honest. But how do we attract those people? Uh, we need to be going and going to the same skills fairs, the same uh, careers events that the likes of the automotive giants are going to. But but we as Agco can't really be as attractive and put as a as nice a show on as the likes of Land Rover can. But maybe as an industry, if we pull together, we could. We could go to the World Skills event. Uh, and, and actually compete against the automotive giants. But we just need to do better and yeah. look further afield well, than just in our own network, if you know what I mean. Going back to that um, uh, original initiative in, in 2004, uh, the money was to be spent on leaflets, which is fair enough, um, and on PowerPoint presentations for careers teachers. I really have to question whether that's relevant any longer. Would you think we, we're in a new age of communication, aren't we, Richard? And, and we got to uh, grab people in a different way uh, to which we have in the past. Yes, social media is, is definitely the way forward to market most things these days, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not quite sure how schools, uh, I, unfortunately, COVID. COVID uh, hit me, I was going to start going to local schools to understand actually how they sit down and discuss any school leavers, you know, spend more time with the college campuses and recruitment. So we haven't managed to do that. But I'm still interested to know exactly what they do, because I went to a school which is, you know, in a reasonably small town, quite close to the countryside. You know, it's not not in a big city, quite close to the countryside. And when I said I wanted to be an agricultural engineer in my careers interview, they just put me out of the room because they didn't have a clue what I was supposed to do. Luckily enough, I knew exactly where I needed to go and what I needed to do. 
but that was on my own initiative. The school just went, okay, good luck. Thank you very much. <laughs> and and yeah. this is the problem. And this is in a reasonably, you know, close to the countryside uh, school. If you're in the middle of Coventry or Birmingham or a big city, you've got no chance of, of even having an, any idea that agriculture is a potential career path for you. So the, so the key, key question is really, uh, Richard, um, in seeking to try and attract new recruits, are, are we looking in the right places? And if not, where might we find them? Well, we, we're definitely not looking in the right place. We, you always need to keep, you know, keep your eye on the, the talent that is within your own network already. So we, but ultimately all we do, we're almost incestuous, Chris, if, it's, if that's the right word. We dealers take technicians from other dealers. Uh, we don't try and find, you know, new technicians from necessarily other other avenues. They're more likely to recruit an agricultural engineer from a John Deere dealer to go into an agco dealer and vice versa. You know what I mean? We need to start looking further afield and we need to start developing better career paths in the agricultural industry. Uh, right from the word at school, you know, right from schooling point. And ultimately even start trying to attract graduates and university uh, graduates straight into dealer networks, straight into the agricultural industry, uh, not just people that have gone to agricultural university. I'm given to understand that you also think that uh, there may be a source of new talent within people leaving the services. Is that the case? Yes, certainly. Sorry. I, yeah. So there's two, two elements to it. So we have, we need to start developing better career paths for, from the word go, from school leavers, uh, whether it's, you know, degree level apprenticeships, but also there are, uh, and this is just one that we, we've started to look at, is, is there is a, an untapped resource, I believe, uh, that in, within sort of ex-military leavers, you know, ex-military leavers, ex-service leavers, uh, going come into the into the the world uh, from leaving the forces uh, with some seriously good skills and some very good transferable skills that we would potentially require in the ag industry. That is definitely uh, an avenue that we do not explore heavily enough, uh, and we've started um, re really exploring whether we can start to home some of these ex leavers in our dealer network uh, and in turn hopefully into into agco themselves as well. And, and they would be more experienced and also be used to using their initiative in many instances. Uh, would you uh, take people in from all three of the, the, the main services? Um, and is there a problem that if you do uh, bring them in, they may well be trained technicians, but they wouldn't be ag trained technicians. And in order to get them qualified, you may have to consider putting them through an apprenticeship program. But would a 40-year-old ex-serviceman uh, sit happily with a bunch of 18-year-olds? No. <laughs> so really, we're already doing similar sort of, uh, you know, we probably do on a daily basis. We take a technician potentially that is an ex-HGV mechanic. Uh, they would be recruited into certain dealers uh, and would need to be uh, trained up. But because that's sort of a closed shop, they don't necessarily want any extra training, they just wanted a job. With the MOD, the difference is that they come out and they are expecting training on their new career before they leave the MOD. This is where we need to capture them. Um, so what we're looking at doing from an ACCA point of view, really just trying to lead from the front necessarily, is to put a ag engineering or an agricultural type of uh, education program together that can be conducted through their 
their passing out period, uh, which would then in turn give them more experience on agriculture, give them more experience on agriculture machinery and what it's used for, uh, because they're all very experienced technicians normally. If you're coming out of the, the Royal Engineers, they're all experienced technicians. They know how to wield a spanner, um, but they don't know what the products are used for. They don't actually know what they're working on and what purpose it is there for. This is what the ex-military people that we have recruited in some of the dealerships have asked for. Um, so this is what we're going to do. So you wouldn't put them into the apprenticeship scheme uh, with the, the school leavers, but we would look. We are looking to put a program together where we can um, enhance their CVs and provide them some good information on on um, on the agricultural industry and the agricultural engineering sort of side of the industry to start with, and then ultimately we'll we'll build on the whole industry as a whole. Are there any transferable skills are, are, are very much there? You know? Yeah. Are there any conduits to enable you to get? Uh, to these people is it a question of sort of attacking individually or is there a clearing house or anything well there's various different schemes and, and there's a what they call the the military covenant or service leaders covenant so you can become a preferred uh, employer which we've explored but not uh, not done anything with yet but there's various different uh, organizations that um, that have links into the mod and almost act as like a recruitment um a recruitment agency uh, one to name uh, Jeremy Gibbs and Farming for, uh, Forces Farming. Uh, we've linked up with Jeremy and been working closely with him and uh, and we will see what we can achieve in the near future. We should have done a lot more this year, uh, but with, with the COVID situation, everything's been put on hold. We were going to do like a Discover, Ag uh, Discover Agriculture Day at Abbey Park and, and sit service leavers in our products, run it over a couple of days for 50, 60 people to attend. Um, just to really give them a, an insight to yeah. the agricultural industry. Again, just gently, gently, a little bit of marketing here and there, uh, just to see what the interest is. And, and it's it's certainly gathering traction, but unfortunately COVID's put a lot of this to hold. Yeah, hold. of course. And, and on that same kind of topic, uh, Richard, are we too gender fixated in this, in this industry? Uh, we know that it's mainly male dominated, but what are the, what are the opportunities for, for women, girls to come into it? Well, you put me on the spot there, Chris, haven't you? I've got to be careful <laughs> what I say now. Um, I, I don't think we are. No, I don't think we are. I just don't think we're looking in the right places at all. And, uh, and because like I said earlier, we're a closed shop, so it doesn't really matter if you're a male that isn't in the agricultural industry or a female that isn't in the agricultural industry. I think the opportunities are there. We just need to market them. Potentially, we don't see that many, certainly in agricultural engineering, we don't see too many females uh, doing the job. Based to just for an example, we've got our first ever uh, female apprentice joined this year. Um, so that shows you, you know, first ever after 21 years of doing the apprenticeship scheme for AGCO. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, that's a bit of a shame, really. It's a negative, but the positive is we've got one now. I think if we just reached out to more a wider community, wider, the the natural progression would be that we would see more uh, females coming into the industry, coming into agricultural engineering. I think as a, as, a, as an agricultural industry as a whole, there's, there's there's a lot more female farmers. There's a lot more females at, uh, at agricultural colleges, certainly doing whether it's within the business sectors of the agricultural industry, whether it's in farming itself or animal care, certainly vet veterinarian, agricultural veterinarian, vets, are, uh, there's, there's a lot of female people are there. I, I don't know, we just don't make it probably, agricultural engineering certainly isn't as attractive 
for a female still. It, it, it we're seems not the only industry, are we? Of course we're not. And, and uh, it seems to me that uh, some of these uh, could well become role models and examples to, to others. So um, and I know that uh, they, they are looking for role models as technicians at the moment in a, an ongoing initiative by the AA. And uh, we could, if, if we really wanted to, Chris, we could have the same conversation about uh, floristry. Now, my wife's a florist and you don't see many male florists. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I hadn't thought of that. It, uh, they're just the customers, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, maybe, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of changes going on in franchises at the moment, people changing uh, franchises, consolidation and so on. D do you encounter many difficulties in that where you've got to take on a new dealer who's been handing in uh, an alternative franchise for some years? Yeah, there's always a, there's always challenges in onboarding, uh, whether it's a new dealer or we, we are adding, um, adding a franchise to an existing dealer, really. Um, there, there is always problems there. They're used to doing it one way and potentially we do it another way. Uh, we do put together some onboarding training programs, certainly uh, get into the dealer as soon as possible to get them installed with all of the programs and then offer them ongoing, you know, system-based training. Uh, and, and just really, you know, there's a hypercare, uh, there's a hypercare sort of um, period that we need to go through of probably two years to be fair. Um, with, with a new dealer, certainly po appointing a new dealer uh, from another franchise or, a, you know, a, a comp competing franchise to ours. Yeah. So it, it, it certainly, it, it's anything new is always a challenge, isn't it, to anyone, to be honest? Absolutely. As you said earlier on, you've, you've been in this industry a few years. If you're talking to people, uh, how would you sell your industry? What what are the attractions of being in the agricultural engineering industry, land-based engineering, call it what you will? For me, the industry is, is so fulfilling. You, you're doing something different every day of the week. Uh, I can talk, you know, I was an agricultural engineer most of my life, okay, uh, now I'm doing something different. But my methods of doing what I do on a daily basis are exactly the same. And it's all been learned and transferred into the roles that I do today. So what I mean by that is, is that because of the diverse environment that you're working in, failure is never an option. So there is always a way uh, and you always adapt quite quickly because we have to in the agricultural industry because of the diverse sort of circumstances we're sort of working under. You know, one minute you can have a tractor in the workshop with an electrical fault, the next minute you're putting a uh, a, a large hydraulic pump on one in the middle of a field uh, without getting your van stuck at the same time, if you know what I mean. So it's very, very challenging, but it's very, very rewarding because the challenges are higher. The rewards are greater. I'm not talking about rewards financially. I'm talking about uh, rewards uh, personally. So it gives you an enormous amount of pride when you've been in a, a, a very difficult situation with a customer who is, ultimately breathing down your neck because he's desperate to get going again because he's reliant on the weather and his whole business is reliant on this machine that needs to go um and you get it going and you see that they're going up and down it is you, mm. you the, the pride that you can get from that and the sense of reward that you get from that i've never come across it no no when i had my children maybe or got married <laughs> but, but on a daily basis uh, and ultimately all of those sort of diagnostic principles, the methods that you follow, even if you're repairing a product in a difficult circumstance, you, I use them on a daily basis, whether it's managing the team, still, I'm not technical anymore, 
but all of the processes and methods that I've learned over the years being an agricultural engineer transfer into diagnosing problems that I have with team members, as I said, with systems, with facilities. And on the other side of the coin then, uh, Richard, um, there are people obviously uh, who don't fit in, who leave the industry. What do you, do you think are the main uh, factors in that? Is it working conditions? Is it pay? Uh, what is it? Yeah, I, to be honest, you almost need to get your first reward. You know, you need to. When, when I was training apprentices, I thought the best way to keep an apprentice in the industry was to get his confidence up as quickly as possible. So he felt that he's, well, he's fixed that. And I've, I've seen the mistakes of various different foremen over the years that, uh, that they've, instead of building someone's confidence, they've just told them that that's wrong and this is how you do it. The best way is to put words in their head. Well, maybe just try that. Maybe just try this. And then they fixed it because you guided them but they've actually, but you make them feel that they fixed it themselves. The quicker you can get that into someone who's new to the industry or that feeling who's new to the industry, the more likely you are to keep them. Because the working conditions are quite challenging, you need to want to do the job. And the only way you will want to do the job is you keep reaping the rewards when you get over the such challenges. Uh, and, and all that's great. And, and, and lastly, Richard, really, uh, you said right at the outset, you obviously had to uh, get up to speed in delivering virtual training uh, and you weren't uh, being prepared for that. Um, do you think of the lessons that you've learned and the experiences that you've had this year that many of the uh, solutions uh, that you've come across this year will be carried forward into permanent features of training in the future? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I think um, we, we've done some surveys this year, to be honest. Uh, we Obviously, all we could do from an ACA perspective was, um, was virtual training. That, I think a lot of people were nervous that that's what we would try and shift to permanently. Um, from a technical training point of view, uh, virtual instructor-led training will never replace face-to-face -face learning. You cannot teach someone how to repair a transmission uh, by not giving them the opportunity to strip down that transmission hands-on. Uh, but what it can do is alleviate some of the time spent in the classroom delivering theory. Uh, and because we can do that virtually, uh, that re reduces the time that the dealers need to travel and be away from their, their workshop. So from an ACO perspective, our sort of curriculums will now be based on a on a, an e-learning type module, a virtual instructor-led type module, and then some face-to-face -face modules. Well, that's absolutely great. And so really, thank you for your time uh, today, Richard. It's been very interesting. Um, I guess to sum up, uh, you, you, we would say, and we possibly would agree, that uh, Britain's got talent, and it's just a question of, of finding it, really. Very much so, yeah. yeah. Well, we thank you. Be looking harder. <laughs> in, and in the right places. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, Richard, thank you very much indeed. And, and I wish you well going, going forward. No, thank you. Much appreciated. Well, goodness me, uh, there's uh, so much to reflect on there. And if only we could bottle Richard's enthusiasm for the industry. He talked about it being fulfilling, something different every day, diverse, pride in the job, and failure never being an option. And those are descriptions that I've heard from many others within the industry. It's getting them engaged in the first place that remains the most difficult part. Is it a closed shop? 
should we be focusing our attention on the less obvious candidates and thinking more outside the box? It's a discussion I'm sure that will run and run. I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me. And this is Inside AgriTurf. <laughs>